Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, everyone, welcome back to Roadcase. My name is Josh Rosenberg. I am the host of this show, and I'm so psyched to be here for this episode with Chris Voss of The Record Company. If you're here for the first time to listen to Chris, welcome to the Roadcase community. If you are a regular and repeat listener, welcome back to Roadcase, and I'm so glad you're here, and I really, really appreciate your support. Um, there's a couple different ways that you can get involved in the Roadcase community and support this podcast, uh, one of which is to follow us on the socials. We're at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, if you'd like to shoot me an email, get involved that way. Uh, the email is info at roadcasepod.com. Uh, you can send your suggestions, uh, criticisms, comments, suggestions for guests, possibly. I promise I'll get back to you, and thanks to everyone for sending in all those emails. If you'd like to learn more about the Roadcase podcast, we have a website, www.roadcasepod.com. You can find out a little more information about the show there. Uh, another great way to get involved in Roadcase and to support this podcast is to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. For example, on Spotify, just hit that little box that says follow. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, you just hit that little check mark up in the upper right hand corner, and that'll give you notices whenever a new episode goes live. Another great way to support this podcast is to rate and review Roadcase. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, scroll down a little bit. You'll see rate and review. You hit a bunch of stars and possibly write a decent review of a road case. And that really helps to support this podcast. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Chris Voss of the record company. They are celebrating their 10th anniversary as a band and their latest album, which is their third album called Play Loud, was out on October 8th, produced by Grammy Award winning producer Dave Sardi. Chris is a proud product of a growing up on a Wisconsin dairy farm, uh, and then he moved to L.A. about 12 years ago, but he's been a hardworking road dog for quite some time. In fact, after he moved to L.A., uh, got together with his record company bandmates in a really interesting way, and then uh, they basically hit the road for almost five years before producing their first album called Give It Back to You in 2016. And Play Loud, their most recent album, sort of represents a little bit of a departure sonically from the, kind of the bare bones blues rock albums that they had been uh, putting out before this time. And uh, it's just a really gorgeous album. And best thing about Chris, besides his amazing speaking voice, is that he is just a passionate example of perseverance, determination, and a desire to follow his heart and do what his heart tells him musically to do. And this new album is really a great example of that with him and his bandmates. Uh, it's just a really spectacular album. Chris is a really compelling individual with a lot of great stories. And I love listening to him and talking to him. Um, 
Record Company was just on Kimmel Live on December 15th just recently. So go and check that. And of course, go check out Play Loud. Um, This is a really great conversation that I had with Chris. Really loved having him on the show. Uh, Thanks again for being here to everyone. And I want to send a special thank you to Chris Voss for being here on this episode of Road Case. And here we go. So, uh, hey, Chris, thanks for joining me on Roadcase, man. Really, really great to see you. Great to see you, too. Thanks uh, for having me yeah. on, Josh. Yeah, you're welcome, man. It's my pleasure, and I'm so happy to have you here. And I get to have a real, live, native Wisconsin dairy farmer on, uh, right. <laughs> on the show. Because Okay, so uh, for background, I was just asking about this logo on the hat, which looks like EA or something, which is like a video game thing. But then you said mm-hmm. it's like another tractor thing. And uh, tell me about that a little bit, because it's a, it's really it's kind of really cool to in an integral part of your own background. Yeah, I, I started wearing them. I, I have a it's a Alice Chalmers, uh, which is a uh, it was a company that was uh, in West Alice, uh, Milwaukee area. Um, they made orange tractors. Uh, that's why I have <laughs> yeah. the orange jacket on. I am a nerd. This is how nerdy I am, uh, and there's nobody that likes this, it feels like, except for, like, I found, like, one kid uh, at a show knew what this was. I have, like, <laughs> I love, like, old tractors. Uh, I grew up on a farm, so my grandpa and I bonded over them. Um, and yeah. uh, International Harvester, there's a little IH hat I wear. There's a Minneapolis Moline, uh, which was uh, a tractor that was uh, made in Moline and in Minneapolis. And it... Uh, uh-huh. um, it's a yellow tractor and i wore that in our how high video and it's an mm and it's like the coolest logo ever but everybody thinks i'm wearing a mickey mouse hat and it just kills me so i had nobody knew what it was and then when i was at uh, in uh, uh des moines iowa that we yeah. had a vip event and there was a little kid there with his dad and he was wearing my alice chalmers hat and i it I said to him because VIP events is like we play our set a little bit of a sound check and I talk to people it's like a nice uh, kind of replacement for being able to do a meet and greet it's a little cooler because you get music and dads will bring their sons down that can't come to the show or their daughters you know I've right, seen right. that and moms will bring you know whoever they'll all they'll yeah. bring it. so kids will come down uh, uh, people who are a little older that maybe don't feel like they want to be at the show but they'd like to so try to make it a good experience well the kid was wearing my Alice Chalmers hat and I said are you wearing this hat because you saw me wearing it in a video and he goes yes and he says but I also like to restore old tractors and I was like dude you oh, and wow. me man and then I had my <laughs> Minneapolis Moline hat on and I said, what's this? And he said, Minneapolis Moline. And I was like, dude, you are the first person that's ever known that. So the kid's the <laughs> coolest in my book, as far as I'm concerned. There you go. Well, I mean, now you're living in L.A., so how does all the, um, how does all the tractor and farming stuff fly out in the, uh, in the City of Angels? And nobody cares. You know, it's all good. <laughs> it's fine. That's not why you do it. You do it because you love it, just like music. You know, it's... Uh, and plus, uh, to be fair to my uh, fellow Angelinos, because I have been out here now for 12 years, so uh, mm-hmm. I consider this my, my town. Uh, yeah. We've been locked down pretty seriously, so I haven't had a chance to go out and socialize very often with the uh, <laughs> with the uh, with that until maybe I'll get uh, get lucky out there. I, I guarantee you one thing. Anybody who recognizes it is instantly going to have an access to being I, I'm going to be like just. <laughs> 
dropping so many things on them, they'll probably run away. It's just, just the thing. <laughs> Let that so be a warning up. or some kind of great knowledge. <laughs> yeah, you know? I'm pent up wanting to talk about this. You're on the inside. Well, I, I, I asked about it. I don't know if that made me cool or not. I don't know what the J.B. Hunt thing is either. I, I always see, I see really that sure around. I'm not really sure what that is. I, this was, I wore this because this jacket changed the, the course of my life. It was the last thing I bought before COVID at a flea market. And it's it, it's got like, uh, here, I'll show you. It changed the course <laughs> of my life. This is now the fashion podcast. This is the fashion the podcast. For... It had this. But this was significant, man. This uh, had these little ducks on the back. Can you see that? Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's yeah. like Canadian geese on the Yeah, so ducks I like it was the last thing I bought. And, uh, you haven't and then taken we got locked down. Two, two and a half years. Yeah, so years. It, I started making <laughs> jackets. And now I... Uh, oh, really? And, yeah, and I had a friend who helped me make some. And so now oh. that's my thing now. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, where can I order one? I need a good. I need another oh, jacket. Oh no, I make them for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the ma- kind of output. Not a mass production. No, kind of story. man, nobody's gonna want my I half-assed effort. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Nobody ever asks me about you know what I'm wearing. So uh, if this was boring, uh, apologies, uh, listening audience. Well, I hope it wasn't. I mean, I, I've I've seen you play, and I love the hats and the stuff and the logos and everything. That's uh, my part- paranoia coming through because nobody likes this shit. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes the old tractors. And I'll tell you, get into it, folks. It's a nice, cheap hobby. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, right. Yeah, buy a tractor. It's really cheap. Yeah, it's very <laughs> practical when you live. It's like in the talking t- about buying a Ferrari or something. Yeah, but at right. least it, it is in a return. You do get a return on an investment with a tractor, presumably because you're buying because you have a dairy farm. Well, and nobody has uh, nobody buys them, so they're like twelve hundred bucks to get like a nineteen forties one. But where are you going to put it? So, oh yeah, what are yeah. you going to do with it? Also, like yeah. level the house next door or something. <laughs> but so, so you grew up in Wisconsin on I a did. on a on a dairy farm. What was that what was that like and um how uh did you grow up sort of with music and john mellencamp kind of like walking through the wheat fields and stuff or you're more accurate than you know i mean like uh dad was you know the boss he loved springsteen and he Mm. loved mellencamp and he loved genesis and he loved uh uh the doors and doobie brothers uh greatest hits was like non-stop that cassette just went round and round (laughs) rolling down the highway rolling down the highway ironically on the bus uh we were in our little covid bubble so Mm -hmm. you had to find new ways wait rocking down the highway yeah 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 yeah. um that and we put on i was like just as a just to see what would happen at about 2 30 in the morning we had a day off the next day i put on the best of the dubs just to see what would happen and you know china grove's the first track so it's like i don't really need to hear china grove ever again in my life but i'd never listened to it on a bus so i'm like oh this is kind (laughs) of cool you know this is probably where they wrote this and before i knew it the whole crew the whole band just was like yeah and we listened to the whole best of the dubs the one with the uh the uh, uh the jukebox on the front now yeah no dude you're speaking to the choir i had that I think I probably had it on cassette at the time. Freaking, <laughs> it was just a, I mean, rolling down the old highway, you know, rocking down the highway, it just yeah. made complete sense. It was a perfect uh, moment right there. But yeah, we grew up with all of that. My And my mom was, uh, she loved Motown. She loved, uh, very diverse. She was like a, a big Judy Garland uh, fan, which I actually am as well. Judy's just mm. buried right up the street here. Um, I, I, uh, oh. 
I went during my the COVID lockdown. I I would walk up to Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and I discovered a little hack that if you went into uh, Hollywood Forever, nobody was walking in there. So I just walk around in circles, and there's like all these. It's beautiful. They have like a beautiful little pond, and then they have like peacocks that just roam around the grounds. Oh, cool. It's really uh-huh. awesome. So like Judy Garland, I would like be like, hey Judy, every day, and Mel Blanc. Uh, uh, Mel Blanc from Looney Tunes oh, fame. the voice of uh, Bugs Bunny. Right? Yeah, 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 and all that stuff. Uh, and, of uh, course... I've uh, never been. I've never been. Johnny Ramone. Uh, I mean, uh, Joey... Uh, uh, Johnny Ramone, yeah. Johnny Ramone uh-huh. and Aditi Ramone. I, I haven't okay. had my coffee yet, so say hi to Johnny every day. <laughs> Drink up, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Um, so, yeah, so you had a, a a musical family. At least they had music on all the time. But, all the time. Um, yeah, and um, how did that rural upbringing kind of shape you going forward? I mean. Well, it did a few things. Um, it, it That actually aid you in being in a band later, uh, surprisingly. Um, parallels um, are actually closer than, than um, one would think, um, most likely, meaning that – on a farm, you have to do everything yourself. You know, you can't call mm-hmm. a carpenter in every time that you need to fix something. You can't call an electrician. You can't call. Mm-hmm. You're a horticulturalist. You're, you're your own banker. You're your own, you know, you're everything. You have to do it all or, or you won't yeah. make one solitary dollar. You have to care and learn how to understand uh, animals and everything and uh, all on your own. And uh, <clears throat> in a band, it's the same thing, man. It's like... Uh, you have to learn how, you know, farm families rarely di- have, uh, there's rarely a farm family that you hear about, and I can say this because I know a lot of them, that mm-hmm. don't, that aren't really close. And the reason is you have to get along with your brothers or sisters because that's all you got. You know, you you have to get along. There's no way, you can't ride your bike to the neighbor's house. I mean, my, the next kid that went to my school, uh, and by the way, I had four boys in my my first grade class, and I was one of them. So three oh other my. kids, and none of them <laughs> lived anywhere near me. So wow. um, you couldn't just ride your bike down the road and, and find somebody. So right. you, being in a band, you're locked in this van. You, you learn to like look past things, not get involved in every little detail of each other's lives, let people uh-huh. have space, uh, learn how to compromise, learn how to work together. So it installs all, instills all that. And hard work is just inherent. It's just, it's just a part of what, you know, you see your grandpa out there, you see your grandma working hard, you see your dad is up at three forty-five a.m. every day. So like, Holy shit. Yeah, he gets a, he still does. My dad still does. What time does he go to bed, man? <laughs> he try goes to bed about nine. <laughs> oh man. You know, yeah. Wow. He has he's been sleep deprived for his whole life, you know. But uh yeah. that's it. It's a lot and farming is a lifestyle and so is this. So is music. Yeah, and, and the economic impact is unquestionable of being able to do sort of like the half of the DIY spirit growing up that way. Um, that if you do it yourself, you don't have to pay someone to do it also. And that's so uh, important in the early days of, um, of mm-hmm. coming up in music, right? Absolutely. Or in anything, actually. I mean, you know, like how many hats are you wearing? You're the chief bottle washer. This, uh, yep. That whole ethos. You got to do the whole thing. And and the the thing that... It really does, as far as how it ties into the the birth of of creativity within uh, at least at least within me, was uh, you are free with your imagination <clears throat> all day. So in your mm. formative years, you're not only 
you don't have, like I said, it's not like most people, like I had a buddy who lived in the city and, and actually we just reconnected, ironically, in Chicago, a kid, a, a guy huh. that I grew, that I hadn't seen since I was 15, 14, and yeah. he wrote me through the band site and we found each other, his name's David, and he was my city buddy. I'd go, you know, into town and, and hang out with him because uh, our parent, my mother knew his mother through nursing. and. Right. uh I'd go hang out with him and I'd be like, whoa, you have like 10 friends coming over to your house? This is crazy. Like for me to have like (laughs) two people over at the house was like a major event. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's not that like collective group think you're all by yourself. So I became very uh, set in like my own process pretty early and you get called uh, music called me in a very odd natural way you know there was Hmm. no like uh pure influence really uh to the earliest part it was just we're listening to music i really wish i knew how this worked and uh that's how i got curious about it ended up getting you know into it that way yeah when was that first that that's a pivotal point in Mm -hmm. one's life when you realize like oh hey i can actually figure out how to do this when did that point come well figuring out how wanting to do it I don't remember ever not wanting to be in doing music. I didn't know you could mm-hmm. make a living from it necessarily, especially oh, okay. uh, uh, in the early days. Like, you know, we had cable when I was relatively young, but we didn't have the Internet. That's for damn sure. And yeah. uh, um, so uh, it was like I can't remember a time where I wasn't completely obsessed with music there's you know mm-hmm. old, old old videos my parents have of me in my diapers holding on to a chair with a bat that my dad a little wiffle ball bat my dad had bought me to <laughs> to play baseball and i i was holding it and dancing pretending it was a microphone how i even knew what that was i don't know but it was nice. just something that i needed to do and i needed to right. yeah. and uh there was no place for me to do it so i tried to be good at sports i sucked at every sport i have a lot of heart and no ability <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, well, heart's half the battle. Yeah. But, you know, you do need to li- you know need to be able to do it a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was like Rudy everywhere I There's went. There's a lot of guys with a lot of talent with not a ton of heart. Yeah, know. yeah. It's heartbreaking. But uh, uh, so that was that was how that happened. And I, I didn't for my eighth grade uh, graduation uh, quotation marks in the air. Um, my parents finally caved and got me an electric after me squirming about it for a long time, oh, and nice. I just took to it like immediately. And right. like eight hours a day, every day, all the time. Uh, that first summer, because I got it at the end of the school year. I mean, I I logged hundreds of hours on that thing. It's all yeah. I did. Uh, you know, I got to the point where it was like, Chris, you have to go outside. You know, and I, it was, uh, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd work on the farm and then I'd come in and I'd, and I'd play till I fell asleep with it on my chest. You know. Wow! Wow! Mm-hmm. Who were your major influences then, early on? Well, uh, I loved, I, I happened upon, um, accidentally, uh, seeing as we're talking about Chicago, I had a few influences before I played that really made me want to play, uh, in sixth grade, a kid came to school with, uh, a Metallica shirt on and I was going to a little, uh, a Catholic school, which never was a good, you know, that was never a good fit for me. I, I was uh, no, yeah. no disparagement, but it just didn't work for me. It wasn't not a hotbed of rock and roll. No. And I, I, sure. I was, a, I was rebellious in nature. I, I but not like rebellious in like a trouble causer. I just like silently would defer. Like, I'd be like, I don't care. I don't care. You know, it was just <laughs> yeah. like more like that. It's peaceful, 
but like, ah, <laughs> eh, screw this. And Civil uh, disobedience. Yeah, yeah. Just try and keep. I didn't want to disrupt anything. I was. I'm a nice person. I want people to get along. That's my yeah. nature. But like. Um, uh, I also like tend to walk against the grain I've noticed my whole life, uh, in mm. a lot of ways. And I, this kid came in with a Metallica metal up your ass shirt and it just blew the whole school apart. Like principals and teachers and parents are upset. It was like, you know, for God's sakes. I mean, it's not like it was, it was like, it was like watching the movie, the, the old movie Footloose, you know, uh, there was a lot about that movie that made sense to me. Uh, so <laughs> like, yeah. it, it was like, uh, it wasn't quite like that, but it was, it, it was like that if you went to that point. So this kid comes in with long hair and, and I was like, I want to be like that kid. That's who I want <laughs> right, to be. Right, 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 I right. want to be this dude. Right. And, uh, that was the, the moment that I really was like, I need to get a guitar. He ended up having me over at his, uh, house. I smoked my first cig there. I drank my first alcohol there. Uh, I I didn't know any better, and I fucking made a prank phone call to a, 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 an authority figure at the school that I didn't like, or I think it was a parent of a, a guy who was a who was a basketball coach uh, who wasn't would never put me on the floor. So I, you know, it wasn't a harmful. Point. It was like ordered a pizza for the guy, you know, right. and then, like that was my idea of like a really serious rebel thing to do. Nice. And, hey, yeah. and then, uh, you right know, after there. that I was caught with the bug, man. I wanted to fucking play music and, and that yeah. was it. And that's been my yeah. whole thing since. And did you get yourself into like high school band? No, uh, I didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't know how to read music or anything. So, and when there were no programs like that when I grew up. So when I, mm-hmm. at eighth grade, I had the choice. They were like, there was like this thing called Catholic Central that was in Burlington, Wisconsin. And, mm-hmm. I, and my mother, God love her, gave me the choice. She's like, we were on the the line where if I was across the street, I would have gone to a different school. So between the two right. schools, everybody I knew was going to one of these two schools. And one of them was Catholic Central and the other one was out in uh, uh, I think it was Westosha, or I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But yeah. I chose to go to Burlington High School. Um, I made the decision. I like. I want to be around more people. I want yeah. to see. You know, I'm playing a guitar at this point. I want to see if there are people that actually want to play. And quite right. frankly, at that point, I was ready for a change of scenery. I just wanted to be. I felt like an outsider, and I, I wanted to see if there were any other outsiders. And I figured, you know, in numbers, I would find them. And I. I eventually did and formed my first band in, in high school there. And we started yeah. playing right away, original music. Yeah. How far away from, were you from Milwaukee? Because um, you were into, uh, you were doing, started doing open mics in Milwaukee? Yeah. Downtown? Well, what happened was high school, they had a little radio station that I, it still exists. It was one of the only two reporting stations uh, to, uh, that w- it was modeled after XRT. And I grew up listening to XRT Uh, and you being in Chicago. So Uh when we got played on XRT, the record company, I freaked out. You know, like I grew up with that. And WBSD in uh, Burlington is Mm -hmm. a a station run like a real radio station, but it teaches kids how to be uh, on the radio. So you take your mass Uh media class. So we would get tickets. So I went to would go to the Aragon, the Metro. I would go up to Milwaukee and go, and this is in high school. I saw the pumpkins up there. I saw the pumpkins at the Aragon. I saw, uh, um, you know, the Crows. I saw, you know, all these bands, uh, the Beastie right. Boys, uh, mm-hmm. all, all that stuff. 
And uh, that was that. So then I decided I've got to go to a major city for uh, college. But yeah. um, I didn't have a lot of uh, – I had never really t- – I, I was good at school, but I hated every minute of it. That that uh, interview you did with uh, uh, in, with Warpaint with Jenny was funny because yeah. she said I hated school. And I was like, oh, I totally really – I hated being told how to do things. I just yeah. detested every minute of my education. <laughs> and uh, – but so I went to UW-Milwaukee solely for the reason of my mom was like, look, you're you're getting too good of grades not to go – if you go, because I was like, I'm moving to Chicago. I'm not going to college. I'm going to be in a band. And she was like, right. please go get your your degree. And uh, I would have been the first one, I think, in my family to get a four, you know, it, it, at least of my parents to get a four-year degree. So, yeah. um, so I went. And, and with the agreement that, okay, I'm going to go up there. And one of the guys I knew from the high school had gone up there and he'd gotten in a band. And I was like, well, maybe there's a, a scene in Milwaukee. And I knew like Minneapolis had like a scene going at the time. So I was like, well, you know, the Midwest, maybe that'll branch to Minneapolis and Chicago. And and it was a great experience. And I stayed in Milwaukee for a while until I moved out here. Tell me about some of the open mic experiences. I always find that's super formative. And I, I, I love open mic stories. I, I uh, Well, right away when I got to college, I met some amazing songwriters um just young kids who were hungry to write and we'd sit around and we passed guitar and i know ne- we were never i never have been nor will i ever be in what i would call a purely a cover band and that's no uh nothing wrong with being in in that kind of band if that's what your thing is but i had this mm-hmm. this little thing i i decided really early that i was going to either make my hay on uh original music or nothing so there was a lot of lot of uh heartbreaking loss and and, and heartbreaking uh, not loss heartbreaking mistakes and uh, being ignored and writing yeah. shitty songs and putting them out proudly and making shitty records and not knowing they were shitty and figuring right. it out uh either at through, through the lack of response <laughs> or in retrospect 2020 vision being like yeah that really wasn't very good you know there's no chorus right. there's no melody there's which you know um, so, which is interesting because ultimately you over COVID, you guys put out a cover album. We did, and that was the first one in my life, <laughs> right. and it was. But, yeah. but the thing and about, an EP this year that's got covers on it too. So yeah, mm-hmm. and I love the I love the covers, your covers. Yeah, well, that was the thing about it that it, it we wait. I waited until there was a point where it was like uh, with COVID, the covers thing came to be because we had just recorded the Play Loud record and we had it sitting in the can and there was like this discussion amongst people being like, you need to do something else creative and, uh, or you need to make something else to engage people. And we, we were really resistant to that. We we're like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. we've made our record, you know, but then we thought about it and we were like, you know what? We can do some, let's, let's just start firing some stuff off. So what we had been listening to a lot of like tame and Paula and like a lot of like, which is like not, if you listen to what we do is not like an obvious influence, you know, or, no, or, no. or like, uh, uh, you know, we always loved like, uh, the, just like electronic music. I mean, we've been fans of like, mm-hmm. you know, Aphex twin and boards of Canada and stuff like that mm-hmm. the whole time that we've been in this band. And, uh, so I would send vocals to Alex, our bass player, and he would just mess them up and like basically construct different ways to, 
turn like you know what would have otherwise been a traditional one four five blues or a or a uh, and and just turn it on its ear and try and make mm. it completely a different structure change the chords underneath it so like um uh the idea was to give the original its absolute respect in the melody but to destroy the chord structure to try and see if there was some other way that the melody reacts under the chord you know like if hmm. it when instead of going to the four resist it and and stay on the one and see how that feels or instead of uh instead of uh playing it in a major key like uh, we did it with spoonful um the willie dixon tune we yeah. we turned it into uh, a minor progression that uh, the notes agree with so it the notes still make complete sense but it goes away from the traditional band it goes away from that to like and it like ah uh, yeah 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 i love that cover i was just listening to it this morning yeah i mean i love that song and i love when cream did it too and absolutely like, um, um but yeah yeah that's that i was like i guess i hadn't put together in my own like very novice musical theory head <laughs> that that's what you guys were doing it totally makes sense yeah well and it we was also lovely it's like creates this sort of yeah, like the the way you were humming, it also sort of this very flowing undercurrent to it that's right. really compelling. I mean, anytime you can change a cover, but st stay true to your own sound mm -hmm. and give it a different feel is always compelling. Oh man, that's very kind of you to say. I, I'll say this: uh, I did about thirty of them, and those four or five thirty were, separate songs or thirty yeah, takes of this. I did one. thirty oh, okay. thirty different songs or so easy. Yeah, yeah. and so. N the, just proving again, you know, just because you do it doesn't mean it's going to go where it needs to go. Like uh, we're at the time of this interview, just to give people some reference that get back mm -hmm. Beatles documentary just came out. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. have you seen that yet? Yeah, I'm, want, I'm trying to make my way through the first two and a half hour installment. Oh, know, my about God. About three quarters I've, of the way through. Oh, it's my amazing. God. It's and that's one of my favorite. Every uh, True Beatles fans don't like Let It Be, but I grew up with that album. And just to hear them working <sighs> out, get back was just was was amazing. I'll just end it just to not put any spoilers out there. I'll just say it this way. It completely captures and is relatable because I was just talking to a friend of mine who's in a band about this last night. Now I've seen the whole thing, mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll I won't give away. But that well, changes. Have. Oh, I have. Okay. I, I it, it changes your perspective of the band because you realize that all the problems that exist within any band existed within the Beatles, and it's not as it's not as like oh this person broke up the band or it's not like that man it's all has to do with creativity it all has to do with relationships it all has to do with people you know there's a lot of money around this band so there are people mm. there that have ulterior motives that are coming in their manager right. had just passed away so they're kind of the guy who had lovingly kept everybody away you know Brian Epstein he he yeah. uh it just and that's what a band is it's like you go from Nobody cares, and if you're lucky, some people start to care, and then if you're really lucky, you start to make a little money, and if you make a little money, you have to st you have to walk back always to that first spot of nobody cares. Ex you you got to care first. You've got to believe in what you do. You've got to dive in, and you have to if you put it out, stand behind it, stand freaking behind it. That's what Dave Sardi, who produced uh, Play Loud. 
uh, yeah. you know, with his vast resume, uh, and the first guy we'd ever worked with as a producer, he he was like, "This is your album," and, and that just really landed at a beautiful time in my life to where it kind of mm. reminded me of like, yes, uh, these are our songs, this is our record. So no matter how much input comes from outside sources, in the end, it's your song. You gotta sing it. So believe in it. If you wanna, if you wanna, it, whatever you put on your body, that's your thing. You do it. Be it. Who right. gives a fuck if it's cool who gives a fuck if anybody gets it if you take if you get it somebody i have seen somebody inevitably is going to get it and it's not even about like who gives a fuck outwardly like double middle finger i'm not that kind of guy i don't have Mm -hmm. that kind i'm just like it's more of an inner thing Uh, another thing from your war pain interview which i i would uh, say uh, everybody should go back and listen to that interview great great interview yeah jenny Uh, lee of war pain jenny was talking about the voices you know that you hear Uh as an artist Yep, and uh, you gotta settle with you've gotta settle up with those voices. You have to if those voices are all cheering in the same direction, you gotta stand behind that. And it might be something down the road you look back on and go, "Well, I could have done this different. I could have done that." But you can sleep at night if you know you did your best and you yeah. you really put it through the ringer. And that's the other have- thing thing that Beatles documentary really got. Yeah, no, I totally get that analogy. And it's even more interesting, you know, with you coming off of um, uh, Play Loud, which has been talked about. And, you know, I've read from your own your own camp about uh, talking about that being somewhat of I don't want to say, Chris, I don't want to say departure. I don't I don't think that's a good term because that uh, implies that there was a definitive direction, mm-hmm. but it is a little bit different. I really, really like it. And mm-hmm. I'm never going to begrudge uh, the creative forces in a band to like go off and do something that's not necessarily exactly what they did. Who doesn't right. want to hear the musicians that they love doing something that they love? That's why I'm there. I'm there because I love a band and I want to hear what they have what they, what they have to say. I mean, frankly, even if I don't love a band, I just want to hear what somebody's saying like right now. Um, so do you feel it was a departure and hmm. were there voices in your head that told you don't go in that direction we got to be a little bit more of like a bare bones blues band blues rock band that we um that um that we were ostensibly using air quotes in the first couple of albums <laughs> i'm glad i'm not the only one who used air quotes in this interview um yeah, yeah. these are great questions uh i'll, I'll put it I'll, I'll try to tackle it concisely um um I don't look at it as a departure. Um, I'll start this off uh, with the words of somebody, paraphrasing the words of somebody that is far, far, knows far more about writing songs than probably I ever will, and that's Bruce Springsteen, Mm -hmm. who said uh, a couple things, but one that stuck out to me before, just I got to put this out there, he's like, root out the cliche. That is something I would say uh, to anybody writing Mm. lyrics you know, he talked about writing Born to Run and how he just had an entire notebook of of just that same song, just trying to root, root out the cliche. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I loved that, and I, will, I, I just want to share that because I thought it was great. Paraphrasing him, um, he said, If you pay attention, your heroes have left you a roadmap of how to do it if you care to take the time to, 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 to sit there and analyze it 
and this is paraphrasing, of course, right, and understand what they did. So when I look at bands like the Stones, and I'm thinking about Stones 12 by 5, Stones Now, Stones Flowers, and then that ain't Let It Bleed, that's not Goat's Head Soup, that's not Exile on Main Street, what happened? You know, mm-hmm. you look at the Beatles, Beatles 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, they were huge, mammoth success, and then something happened, all of a sudden Rubber Soul, Sgt. Pepper, what happened? Springsteen, his first few records, and Born to Run. Then he goes to Nebraska, complete left turn. Then he goes back, and he does Born in the USA. Unbelievable, if you think of the timeline of that. Genesis starts out with Peter Gabriel. They lose their singer, and then they go to, you know, uh, Phil Collins, and all of a sudden a completely different thing happens. So what I'm saying is it's called, I think, after a certain amount of time, there was a point where we had put out first record, give it back, your second record, all this life. We during uh, we put out a record store release, which proceed, was all our material preceding uh, give it back to you. So it was even more raw. So that was so now you have about thirty eight songs that are all you know. You've got your earliest stuff that leads in your first record, that leads in your second record that's stretching a little bit. You know, we're getting mm-hmm. some new sounds, we're adding pianos, we're adding bigger harmonies, we're changing mm-hmm. song structure. And then on the th- what are you going to do on that third record? And it just everything I looked at was like the third record, well not just me, the band, when we talked about it, it's like this is the time. This is the time to 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 try and challenge ourselves and if we're honest and we write the best songs we can, Somebody's going to get it, you know, and there, of course there are going to be people that um, probably will love the first record and go, hey, I love that first record and there's nothing that's going to ever top that. And I'm sorry, guys, I liked it better when you did it that way. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. That's cool. That's their experience. They're giving precious seconds of their life listening to my music. I'm grateful, but I've yeah. got to go where where I need to go creatively. Otherwise, I'm either stagnating myself for the purpose of commercial things that you're trying to recreate for a reason that isn't as pure as the initial reason why you started. And I think we try to stick to um, staying to that pure inspiration. If we aren't excited by what we're doing, there's not a lot of value to us, which means it's going to come off where how it, it it's not going to just come off as a as an evolution of your sound it's going to come off as some intended reason to chase something that that's just not pure you know and were there times during this process where you were like what the fuck am i doing <laughs> like why am i going a different place or um no were you you were true enough to yourself so that you were like this is the direction that i want to go you D- dave sardi who produced the record yeah, he came amazing. in like talk about vast. Li- <laughs> yeah, vast, you know, uh, he did like LCD sound system. He's just in case there are people out there who don't know. He's Dave Sardi, really, he was a pie in the sky thing. Like we we when we we decided our, our our bass player Alex had mixed and produced our first records, and we would yeah. you know we were over his shoulder, but he did the work. Alex deserves all the credit for that production. Alex is amazing. I also love his play. I love his bass playing. He's Absolutely a, love it. just born with melodies in him. You know, he's just got <laughs> melodies. You know. And yeah. uh, we found with his bass playing, which has kind of become a signature of our sound, that it's like, okay, if I play this riff on my guitar, 
you know, we're a 70-year-old genre here in rock and roll. It's like, it sounds like, okay, kind of uh, boxed in, done before. I hate the word stock. I hate that word, but it, it, it kind of, I guess there's not really anything else I can come up with right now. But it, if he did it on his bass, it was like, that sounds fresh, man. And he put a little fuzz on it or whatever. So it's like, it was like, what if we have the bass drive the, the, the melody of the thing? The guitar becomes a, like, padding and the voice is the melody on the, you know, and everything's built around that. So that was kind of the concept for the first two records. And then now, you know, it still holds to that. But instead of having just like, okay, we're a three-piece, we, Dave came, came up, he's like, make the record you want to make. You know, because at first we were a little like, well, how are we going to pull this off live? We're a three-piece band. He's like, he's like, just to say it, I mean, he's like, fuck that. Fuck that. Do what you want. This is your album. Mm. And uh, Dave, again, like, you know, he's done the Oasis records, LCD Sound System. He's done just, uh, he just did the new Modest Mouse record. This guy is, he's a, he's a, uh, he's got two speeds. He's either the jet engine sitting on the tarmac waiting to go 600 miles an hour, or he's (laughs) going through the air 600 miles an hour. Whatever he does is 100% intense. If he's texting, it looks like his phone's going to come like smoking you know it's like if he's got <laughs> yeah. if he's looking you in the eye he's expecting you to give your freaking best because he's giving you his and right, he's right. agreeable he'll test you he's like i don't think that's it and you're like oh no that's it you know and he'll be like if he agrees he'll be like you know what oh let's try that but he also right. you know will make you go there are times where you're like man it's done and he's like it's not done. It, it's it's incomplete. Can't you hear that? And so what you're saying, Chris, is that I mean, uh, you know that um, that you were the inclusion of Dave was a big it was huge. a massive factor for you. And with him on board, you, you never to, that felt allowed off. you to yeah. The involvement of someone like him allowed you to believe in yourself and believe in the direction. I mean, clearly you had the direction first. I mean, you wanted to go in a different direction or mm-hmm. I don't even want to call it a different direction. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, um, you know, a little bit something a little bit different. I don't look different. at a different direction as a negative way. I, I think there was a you're you're a, a you're so rooted. If you abandon your roots, then you're going in a different direction. But if you listen to the record, the root is still the same. You know, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So We're not it's talking like, about a hip hop album. Here. Yeah, no. It, it's, um, but uh, what do you mean by so? Let's go back to the Springsteen. Root out the cliche. So, I, I I'm inferring from uh, what we've been talking about is that you believe cliche could mean don't become a repetition of what people expect of 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 you from right. your pa- judging by your past work. Would that be? Um, do you agree with that? Uh, you know. I don't think you can make a record worrying about what people are going to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not because you're disregarding the public, but it's not the public's time to hear it yet. It's your job to build it. You mm. build it, and then you have the open house. You don't have the open house when the, I mean, unless, you know, I mean, if you're building something, it, it, this analogy is probably going to flame out, but the, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> well, it's interesting because it comes to touring as well. Yeah, so like it, it's that. like you you, you want to do what you believe in. Of course, you want your public, to, you want the public to like it. Of course, you do. But I found that if you create the reason the record company exists, our band, is because we were at a point where we had all failed so much in <laughs> our own individual careers. I mean, I literally. Mm. Van tour after van tour after van tour for well over, you know, 12, 14 years of just nobody really liking it, giving a shit, 
and and some people did a few but not enough certainly to sustain a living and you just feel very defeated you feel very like it's your precious art you're putting out there and you're just like man am i not good at this do i not get it and it was the moment where the three of us got together and it literally was and this isn't it wasn't a punk rock like yeah it was fuck it i don't care if anybody gets it i don't care if People, if we can't book ourselves in a pizza joint in this town, this is cool. You know, we got together that first day, we listened to the record, and that was my exact quote to the guys. We, we recorded the first day we were together. And there is one wow. recording online, if you go anywhere, called Born Unnamed, that came from that first day. Um, it, 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 uh, that you was, guys recorded the first day you guys hung out together? Absolutely. Yes, we did. Wow. The first day we was played that, together. We had been friends was, for a bit. Yeah, and that was in L.A., and was that frustration level that you were just talking about, about banging your head against the wall, about getting out there, multiple van tours, is that with these? Was that with, with, with your current dudes, or was no. that by the time you reached, you, by the time you got to L.A., you had already been oh, yeah. working really, really hard, and you went to L.A. because your wife got a great job out there, and you followed her out there. I mean, mm -hmm. why not? L.A. is fucking awesome. I'm from L.A. I was telling you about that. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to stand in the a, way of, a, she had an awesome opportunity, and though yeah. I didn't, never saw myself leaving Milwaukee, I had roots right. there, everybody, you know, as much as my touring life had been a failure in Milwaukee, I had a lot of great experiences, you know, so it yeah. was like, yeah. you know, um, and when I say a failure, it's, it's just, I don't mean that it was a failure per se, as in artistically, I was doing what I wanted, just nobody cared, nobody we did it wrong. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't make good enough songs or it wasn't the time. Who the fuck knows? But it wasn't working, right? right? Well, tell the story about how you, you, you got to L.A. And um, just I know you tell the story a, a shit ton, but it's, okay. it's such a fucking great story about just, I mean, break it down. Just the, the Craigslist ad. And then was it Alex or Mark that, that, that responded? And that's how you guys kind of started to get together? Yeah, I will gladly tell that story. But I'm going to give you one thing. <laughs> On the last question, no. Oh, oh yeah, let's the, go. Let's the go. record company was three guys who said, fuck it. We're going to name ourselves the record company because nobody's going to sign us. Screw it. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to play slide guitars and we're going to play harmonicas. And we, at that time in L.A., there were all the great bands. And we would go to the monthly, uh, every Monday there were uh, residencies. And we would go to them. It was, yeah. it, it, they were all either, uh, if there were like pure guitar bands, they were either doing rock or they were doing um, uh, Americana, and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Or they had a computer on stage, you know, and they were doing something totally different. And we just did not fit at all. Certainly nobody had like some, you know, Midwest farmer guy as their singer who like is... <laughs> Just stuck out like a sore. Who's wearing logo hats yeah, and John stuck Deere out like a sore thumb, and... man. I stuck out like an absolute sore thumb, and it ended up being magically because oh, you totally blend in. And now you blend in, Chris. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and now, yeah. <laughs> hey, you wait long enough, something will come around. But you know, uh, it it worked, and I can get to that later. But it worked because we said fuck it. But it wasn't some grand yeah. plan, and I'll, yeah. I can get to that later. But. I got to L.A., and I had, uh, after college, I went on the road, and I, I made zero money, and my, my then-girlfriend and now wife and I, you know, she was a waitress. I uh, 
was hosting open mics, which you asked about the open mics. Those were a formative part of my mm. coming up. I had a weekly resident gig uh, that I played every week that was just complete improv. Ironically, it was one of the more popular things I did in that town. It taught me how to uh, just do my thing without any preconceived notions. We just did it as a lark, and it ended up becoming something to do on Tuesdays. So Monday, I'd host open mic. Tuesday, I'd play this resident gig. Yeah. Wednesday, th- I worked at a vintage guitar shop. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wade's Guitar Shop in Milwaukee, where I learned so much about gear, effects, everything. So I got my education there. And then uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I would go on the road. And then occasionally we would somehow convince people to book us for two, three weeks. So we'd go out and we'd eat ramen noodles and sleep on the base cabinet and maybe get one hotel room (laughs) a week where we'd all cram in there. And we did this for years and years and member changes and member changes. Me and my brother and then... About seven that different was like other what time frame. Yeah, about what's that? What that, time frame? Was that it? was right after college, till I was almost like twenty nine. You know, uh-huh. so uh, then I, uh, uh, my wife and I got married out there. She had then moved to uh, doing uh, selling ads for newspapers, and then she ended up working at a, a weekly paper, a monthly, a weekly paper called the Shepherd Express in Milwaukee, which still exists, and mm. she got a job offer to go to the LA Times and I remember I was going to South by Southwest with my band and Mm -hmm. uh, she was like what do you think it was like one of those time sensitive things now I had all these roots deep in you know and and the band I was in at the time had label interest and all this stuff and it looked like everything I was going to do was finally going to pay off you know I had people Mm -hmm. on the phone and she she just had been with me through everything and I just was like baby you got to go and, and if you get that job, I will move. We will move to L.A. And I said, because I can't stand in the way of this thing for you. And it wasn't yeah, because I thought... it was a big job. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think for me that I had a chance in hell, to be honest. But I knew I would fight like a dog to try and make it work. Yeah. Got to L.A. She's doing great. Fantastic. You know, she's working at the L.A. Times. And, uh, and then that turns into the Chicago Tribune and et cetera, et cetera. And she's she's doing it, you know. So I'm like, wow, you know, she's done it, you know. And now, so I'm like sitting there going, good God, I got to do something. So the, I was touring with other bands. I play pedal steel and everything. So I had some bands that were taking me out on tour, but I wasn't making right. a dime. And uh, then I ended up having to get some jobs. And this was before Uber. So God, if Uber had only existed, uh, because <laughs> I ended up delivering pizzas. I ended up working for a moving company. I ended up, you know, I remember I had to deliver pizzas to a high school, uh, and I had gone from being like in Milwaukee, this nice, cushy, my own boss, owned my own. Yeah. I, I uh, owned my own uh, music school by the end, where I had like Monday through Thursday, I had. 60 students and then i'd play on the weekends with my band we go to chicago we go to green bay we'd go to up to upper michigan we go to detroit you know mm-hmm. so i thought oh i'm doing this right i left all right. that and i'm delivering pizzas to this high school and i was the guy that everybody was like uh-huh, this guy's delivering pizzas you know and i'm like 30 years <laughs> old so it's like at that point i'm like now i think there's nothing wrong with that but if you're you when you're walking into a it, it was a humbling experience you know or moving yeah. these uh, boxes you know, every day, like, I'm like, I'm back on the farm. And I, in some way, loved it, but yeah. it wasn't what I was here to do. So right. uh, then I met uh, Alex and Mark. I put up a Craigslist ad 
and I was playing pedal steel in a band, and we had gotten a gig at uh, Austin City Limits Festival, which the gig, it sounds like a lot more fun than it was because we were like one of the opening, opening, opening bands, so we played like at a time where nobody was there, and I'm playing pedal steel. It was a great band. It was a great experience. Um, But my Craigslist ad had come to be uh, expired, and uh, it was just like, Looking for a bass player. And it was terrible. Because I, 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 my wife had suggested, Valerie is her name. I'll call her Val instead of my wife. Val had suggested to me, uh, yeah. you should put this up. And I'm like, Ugh, Craigslist, man. You know, I thought, <laughs> this is stupid. You know what I mean? Milwaukee, you would never do that. Come on, you know? But I knew enough to know that I was desperate and she was smart. So I... Put it up. City of millions and millions of people, and she is a great writer, also. Well, and then there it comes. Like, so I go, baby, can you uh, refresh it? I can't access it from my phone for some reason. She sees it and looks at it, and she's like, "This is just shit. This is the worst ad I've ever seen." So she wrote what I like to call a lovingly fraudulent version of what was real. There you go. Where she was like, "This guy's out on tour." He's like, "That attracted Alex, who, ironically." was right at that moment of he said I've never looked on there before I was had he had just gotten through being in like his 10th band in LA and he just was like I can't I can't do this and out of desperation right. he looks he's like well maybe I can play bass uh, every band I've been in needs a bass player and he sees my ad calls me right and we talk and we hit it off like instantaneously right then he finds out he's like so what's going on with this band it sounds cool and i'm like yeah man no i'm trying to start a band and he's like oh man i don't think i can go through the heartbreak of restarting a band so he's like, send me your music so i sent him the music of the last band i was in milwaukee uh you won't find this band but it was called invade rome and uh it was like a psych it was like a psych rock fucking angry because i was just at the end of my rope at it it wasn't it wasn't like the record company at all it probably had a lot more like similarity to the sword meets uh trail of dead it was like really kind of it was a really (laughs) weird mixture and uh um uh so anyhow he did he heard my music and if now that I know Alex, he's my brother, you know, I mean, we've been through through a lot together. He invited me. He's got this huge vinyl collection. He called me back randomly one night. I'm sitting on my couch. It sounds like bullshit, but it's not. I was sitting there, and I literally turned to my wife, and I was like, I need a break. Something has to go my way, or I'm, I'm going to run out of time. I'm just going to get older and older and older, and it's gonna, I'm going to run out of time. You know, I'm like... Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to change careers, go back to school. I don't know what, but I, I feel in my heart this is what I'm supposed to do, you know. Right. Phone rings sometime that evening, and it's Alex. He's like, bring a couple beers, come over, let's listen to some music together. I really like talking to you. You're a cool guy, and I loved the sound of your band. And I was like, whoa. So I went over there, sang some songs. We became buddies. took about a year of, of wooing these guys, him and Mark, and... Uh, we one night we were listening to a John Lee Hooker record. I had like tricked Mark, our drummer, to play some keys on a record I was on. I had tricked yeah. Alex into playing bass with me in this other band I was trying to get going. And that night we were listening to John Lee Hooker Canned Heat. He had the vinyl on. Um, 1971. It's called Hooker and Heat. Go listen to it. It's an amazing record. And it's coming out. The, he had the speaker in the window. It's coming out 
to the backyard. We're hanging with his dog and our girls after my show with him, mm-hmm. with Alex on bass. And right. Alex goes, you know what, dude? Uh, we can do better than this band that you're in right now. We can do better. And I'm like, I was kind of a little heartbroken. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Right. And then Mark just goes flippantly, he goes, we should do something raw like this. We should just hang a few microphones up and just do whatever. So I went home and I wrote like four songs. One of them is Born Unnamed. That is on, uh-huh. uh, it's on all the platforms. And that's the recording from that day. We heard that recording. We walked out the backyard, same place we heard the John Lee Hooker record. It was a day, a, a, day, a couple days in the future from that. Uh, right. I think it was October, late October of 2011. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I just heard the music coming back of the playback. I said, that's a band. Here's my band agreement proposal to you guys. I'm like, 33% to you, 33% to you, 33% to me. We're all equal for every failure and every success. I don't give a shit if anybody understands this and if we can't get booked in a pizza joint, I fucking want to do it. Let's let's play. And they were like, all right. So the rest of the year, we recorded a demo, put out a demo at the beginning of the year, and something happened that had never happened. Our song, Don't Let Me Get Lonely, all of a sudden got played by you know uh, kevin bronson played it out here on locals only uh uh, nick harcourt uh uh played it on his show who is like a a really important guy out here and then uh we we, uh bruce out in in philly played it he and he played made it his song of the day uh um and it it just it was like we were like hey man this has never happened we all of a sudden got offered a, a residency immediately by like the coolest little club in town at the time, which was Harvard and Stone. It had a built-in audience. Uh-huh. None of that had ever happened. So we're just like, well, let's just keep going. And and that was kind of the experience. So all those years of failure, suddenly we knew enough to not start the band without music that had a consolidated sound, that had certain type of level of songwriting, that right. flipped our switches and the more we stuck to that, the better it went for us. But you were getting good response. I mean, you've been in a situation where you'd played in front of audiences before, but you now you were here with two other guys that you liked. You guys love what you were doing. You decided to create a partnership, an equal three-way partnership. Yes. And all of a sudden, you're playing. And uh, wasn't your stage debut in New Year's Eve of 2011, which is 10 years ago? Yes. Or it 12. was well, in Alex's New living. New Year's Eve, 2011. Was that 2012? 2012. Going into 20, in Alex's going living into room. Going into 2012. So exactly 10 years ago. Yeah, there's a video Just of us playing. Happy anniversary, Thank brother. You. <laughs> there's a video of us covering uh, Tallahassee Lassie, which uh, 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 was uh, Freddie uh, Cannon's song, and uh, we, and uh, also the Flamin' Groovies. And I, mm. I, I liked uh, I liked those versions, and so there's a version of me sitting on Alex's couch with a couple of our friends dancing around, and that was our first little performance. And I, I'm not ashamed to say I am. I know I was just seventeen thousand sheets to the wind in that performance. It still sounds all right, though. I'm, I was into it. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, the blues, man. The, one of those one of the great things about the blues is that when you're drinking too much, it still sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I got lucky. But uh, but and then a couple of days later, humble. we were in we were playing our first gig. I think it was January seventh or something at Harvard and Stone, and then we got offered a reg- yeah. residency for March, and it went from there. And you started to do a couple other residencies, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and. Um, <clears throat> what I find interesting is that your first album, uh, 
give it back to you wasn't released until 2016. I mean, right. you guys hit the road a ton. Mm-hmm. I first saw you, and I told you this before we came on the air, was um, uh, opening for My Morning Jacket in 2015. Yeah. Uh, when you guys, I don't know if you, how much you were with that tour, but you swung through the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I loved you. I brought my little son at the time. It was, uh, only 11 and, uh, and awesome. he loved the guy with the, the, he was, he loved that guy with the hat that was just sitting in a chair. He's like, why is he sitting down the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> Lap steel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but you opened for like a ton of really cool bands. Um, uh, I wrote that down somewhere. Brian Seltz, Brian Setzer. Yeah. Um, John Mayer. Yeah, you went to Europe with Blackberry Smoke. Yeah. Um, what was that like in those years when you then you started to get a little bit of momentum? Then you were on the road with bigger acts, bringing your music into in front of audiences that uh, you know it was probably inconceivable four years or three years earlier. Yeah, um, it it was every time you're on stage with. Uh, uh, well, anytime I watch an artist, I'm I'm watching as a fan, but I'm also watching as someone who's being educated. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't discriminate as far as like age. Like I, I've I I learned that teaching guitar. I would have a 12 year old student that would say something out of complete innocence about the instrument, and I would be like, "Oh, that's profound." You know, it's like uh, hmm. just some simple statement like, oh, this is a melody that I like. And you'd hear it and you'd be like, wow, that's that's great. So it's like I think you got to stay open to learning from all directions. So one thing like when we did we did a Bob Seger tour and like just watching how that guy uh, commanded his group, how he demanded excellence of himself and his band. He did sound check like wide open like it was like he would do hmm. sound check like everybody was there and there was nobody there. So you're sitting there in the crowd watching this guy play. You walk into a Bob Seger concert frequently and he'd still be sound checking. Well, no, he's, he, uh, we were, we were opening for him. So we would just watch his Uh sound checks every night. And he, yeah, he was, he was, he was sound checking. Like he would work the band. He'd be like, that was too fast. That was too slow. That was perfect. You know, like that Uh kind of stuff. And you learn something watching that, you know, you learn, and he was super friendly. Like when we opened with John, uh, we played the Forum uh, opening for him in L.A. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, where I saw like some of my first biggest shows, like, yeah, years and years ago when the Forum was like bigger yeah. than it is now. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, we we played the Forum, and he was he came out and he sat in the middle of the the audience, and we had become friendly enough where I was like through the microphone, I'm like Bob do you want us to play our set? And he's like, play it from like way out in the audience. So we played, we only had a half hour. So we played yeah. uh, a half hour set. So we played the 30 oh, minutes super set. Cool, man. And in the middle of the set, he comes, he's got a water bottle and he's like shaking it like a Morocco over his head. And he comes from like the, the 18th, 19th row. And he walks right down to the fourth row, dead center, right in front of me and sat there. And like, he's like grooving, putting his water bottle above his head and like, it was unbelievable, and afterwards we got it. We got it on video, so it's so there is proof. He's like, "Oh, that was hot shit. You got to kill it at home." And I'm like, "Oh my god, this guy I grew up with." You know, Seeger was. If you, you remember back at the beginning of this interview, it's like, Dad, you know that Bob Seeger was in the oh, mix. Yeah. I mean, come on, Midwest. Yeah, yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. So it was unbelievable. But like you know, things like John Mayer. The first night we played with him, he came into our dressing room, welcomed us. 
you know, mm. said, I don't want you to feel awkward here. Welcome, you know. And then he asked me, like, you know, what record are you on? He's like, I've only heard your one record. And uh, I'm like, number one. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, wait till you get to record three. That's where it starts getting fun. That always stuck in my head. He's like, because then you <laughs> yeah, can make especially your... these days. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, he's like, make your <laughs> right, make right, your right. record. Because then you can really mess with your set list. You can play longer. This is like the way he's talking. I'm like, God, what an awesome experience. But yeah. you learn that your job is to create a group of people, starting with just yourselves, and then as you add people, sound, lights, that the, the I think the greatest bands, their sound always sounds like it makes it to the edge of the room, but wants to go an inch further out. Like it hits the edge mm. of the room, and it's full and it, you can feel the energy like the, if the room was just a little bigger, it might fit in there perfectly. You want to be right in that zone is my experience. It's like where your show fills the room and it feels like the walls are going to get pushed out a little bit by the sound, hmm. but not bowled over. Then you're too loud. You're too people got earplay. You know, if you've got if you've got a, a show and it's so loud that nobody can even listen to the natural sound of your band because they all right. got to wear earplugs, you're kind of cutting out a lot of the beauty. You know, so it's like getting it to that perfect like, yeah, my ears might ring tomorrow, but fuck it, kind of you know volume. And you learn as yeah, a band yeah. how to project your soul to the corners of the room. So when we went on the Setzer tour, that's how we learned how to throw across theaters. You know, we, we, we played at, uh, you know, uh, the Ryman, you know, we played at like some places that we never thought we'd play. And that was mm. the first time we'd ever done like a tour like that. We got signed like on that. Bigger, tour. where you're bigger room. Yeah. And then when you uh -huh. get to like Red Rocks, which we did with like, you know, we did that with Trombone Shorty, uh, we, yeah. you know, or whatever you, you learn how to believe and and not be not be uh not be worried about if your soul can make it to the top of the hill at Red Rocks or if you you just put it out with as much vigor as you do in a small room and it makes it to them if you've done it right and yeah um that was probably the biggest lesson I learned it's like be you know and then it was little things like even just listening to how performers who have done it a long time talk like Bruce Dickinson made this uh from Iron Maiden made this, uh, I, I was watching Flight 666, the documentary about him, you know, and he said, just said something so simple. And he's like, I make big arm gestures in these big places because I want the person in the back to see what I'm doing. If I'm making these little teeny gestures, nobody can see it. And then all of a sudden I started noticing all these stadium singers, be it Depeche Mode, be it, uh, you know, anybody, even all right. the way down to like, that's what they do. It's a common tie because it makes everybody in the room feel like they're involved and it makes the sound get to the edge of that big space. It it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it draws the audience to the sound. It's not just your ears that take it in. In a show, you're taking it all in. It's a full body, full spirit experience. And all those yeah, things I talked to I talked to Rebecca and Megan of Larkin Poe and oh, they were talking great. about the same thing. And as a... And as, and as a uh, Amazingly, they talked about it in uh, with respect to their experience in touring with Bob Seger recently. Yeah, they were um, on the uh, this tour uh, right before or right after us. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and how they had to adjust. It was the first time they really done an arena yep. uh, tour where they opened. Where Bob took them around to several different cities, or maybe they just were in Detroit with Bob Seger, which is like a big deal, mm-hmm. huge deal. And how um, that translating that. Let's talk a little bit about what they said about translating that blues tradition mm-hmm. to be a little bit more of an arena friendly when you do have to make your own movements bigger. And 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 Chris, I know because I've seen you several times. Most recently in the Met at the Metro in mm-hmm. Chicago this oh, past fall, so fun. You love to do your thing, man. You'll move around the stage. You're constantly you're bending over. You're doing this, and you've got all these great body movements that really emphasize. Um, and tell everyone like this is really how I'm feeling. Not not that the words don't, right? Not that your tone doesn't, but also when you add that body movement in, I have a feeling you've been doing that for a while. But um, talk to me a little bit about how you like to move on stage because I, I I really love what you do up there. Ah, uh, thank you, uh, Iggy, Iggy Pop. <laughs> he man. says as he smiles, <laughs> Iggy Pop. Uh, when we were about to form the band, um, late 2011. Iggy Pop with the Stooges at the time. This still, he was still touring. Uh, he was doing that tour where he had the Stooges back together with Mike Watt on bass, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I walked out of that show absolutely on fire to be in a rock and roll band. And it Which, was like, what show? Like where? It was at the venue? Palladium. It was at the Palladium. Um, oh, I can't recall the, ex- the Hollywood the ho- in Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, since when you lived there. Uh-huh. Yep, 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 yep. And it was right before I formed, right before we did that first recording with the group. Um, oh, okay. And I knew that was coming, and I walked out of there really inspired. And what I took from that experience was that they were the loudest, most dangerous thing I'd ever seen. And he had just come off, mm. like, this this uh, hip surgery and, like, you know, uh, you know, and I've seen, I, I am not by any means, you know, I, there's a lot of people that live and die by punk rock. So I don't like to say like, oh, you know, I, I punk, I worshiped punk. I loved punk. I, I, I went and I, you know, I saw all and uh, Milo got on stage long before they did the, the, the return and they did Descendants covers at, or not Descendants, they did the Descendants as the encore and I like I got that the living shit kicked out of me like in the middle of the 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 mosh pit and there was only like a hand you know it's like 80 people it was in Wisconsin he was I think going to school in Madison I'm not sure that that was the story I was told at the time it could be wrong but you know they do the whole Milo goes to college record they do all that stuff and so I had this idea of like this wildness and I loved that. And I, I loved, like, the footage of, of Muddy Waters at Newport where he, like, he dances. Or, like, I, I grew up loving, like, watching anybody who could dance. And I cannot really dance. But I really will dance. I don't care. I, I, it's got to happen. And what I learned was um, I came up with this idea one night where I just was, like, something hit me about thinking about, the, the 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 humanity of the fact that you only are here for a limited time. So yeah. I thought about like how Jerry Garcia had, I remember it came off of this t-shirt. I was high as, high as hell. And some guy was wearing you a dead high show. As fuck, yeah, like he wanted yeah, to. Yeah. High as fuck. Uh, I've said fuck enough. So what the hell? It, yes. Yeah, I, he was wearing a shirt and it was, bef- it was, uh, it said it had the original dead stats on it. It was like 2,300 and some odd shows or whatever it was. I, I don't know what the number was, but it was big. These were the Jerry shows. And I thought to myself, man, even Jerry Garcia, you know, who had all these years, you know, when you're when he was on show 876, 
He was nowhere near, but eventually, and ironically, in Chicago, it's his last show, right? And I had a chance to go to that show, and I didn't go. I still kick myself over that. Um, And it just put into my head, I'm like, it's a finite number. You can't squander these opportunities. You know, you mm, this mm-hmm. is so when I go on stage, I don't think of it as one more time. I think of it as right. one less. So it's like give it everything you got. And I've had and I've learned that lesson over and over. I had a, one of my dear buddies, uh, not to turn this into a bummer, but one of my dear buddies, Josh Tovar, moved out to Nashville. He was a great guitar player. He was in one of my old bands. He was in Invade mm-hmm. Rome. He moved to Nashville, far better guitar player than I'll ever be. Same time I moved to L.A. with the same dream. He got brain cancer. He died. Mm. I just had a buddy a couple of weeks ago, died of COVID, played his last gig. Everybody was like, Nobody, I, we were in New York. I got the news right before we hit the stage. This was on our tour yeah. that you saw. And played a, I, the show was very emotional. It was a beautiful show, one of the greatest shows of the tour. But I was a wreck inside. And it, it was a total Sorry surprise. That, yeah, no, it's, it is. It's a tragedy. And everybody's suffering through this stuff. But it, to me, the lesson inside, what Josh would have said, my buddy Josh Tovar, and what my buddy Mike Hoffman, who passed away recently, uh, and they're going to memorialize him uh, in December, uh, December 23rd in Milwaukee. They're going to have a beautiful memorial to him. He was a great guy. E-I-E-I-O, they're one of the original cowpunk bands. He was in that, semi-twang, uh, another kind of like early Americana-like kind of trailblazer band that doesn't get mentioned, but they influenced the Jeff Tweedies. They influenced, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it may just re puts in my heart. It's one less time, man. It's one less time. So for God's sakes, if you want to spaz out, if you want to scream, if you want to jump into the amplifiers, if you want whatever your spirit is calling you to do, throw the fuck down and have a good time doing it because it's the best thing in the world. It's pure. You don't have taxes up there. You don't have problems up there. You don't have... All, there's no part of your life up there but your music and you, your band that you love, and the people who gave a shit enough to pay the money to see you play. So for God's sakes, throw down. And that's what I try to do. And there, you know, if I walk off, I you it, have man. nights where it goes. I fucking love it. Thanks, man. You have nights where it goes so great. And then you have nights where maybe you threw down a little too hard and you don't have all of it in you. But. Uh, a, a, a producer, a friend of mine said, Paul McCartney always said, uh, you always got to find it your best. And it's going to change, but you always got to find it. And one of the things I will say to people, study what these people have to say, take it in, absorb it. They know what the fuck they're talking about. It's not a coincidence. They tapped into the magic. And... It's there, just like Springsteen said, to learn and to take into yourself. And that Iggy Pop show, I remember third song, everybody was on stage. They had to break up the concert, stop it for 15 minutes, get everybody off stage. Because Iggy was inviting them. Like, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Everybody's off stage. Got to clear the whole band, reset everything up, and they come back out blazing. He's wow. stage diving, jumping, and he had just, just broken his hip, for God's sake. <laughs> He goes off the stage, and now my perspective is the side of the stage, and Mike Watt and the band are just 
thundering noise, 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 <laughs> noise, and everybody's going nuts. Iggy's gone. There is a, a, a curtain, and I am upper deck behind the curtain because a buddy of mine had got me a really good spot. And right. Mike Watt walks off the stage triumphant, a monster. The moment he got behind the curtain, he collapsed, like, not to his knees, but slunked over and became human again. And, like, you saw him limp back behind the door. It was about a 10, 15-foot walk, but I saw every step wow. of it. And the lesson I learned, I'm like, that guy gave every he fucking himself. thing he had, and that's why he's a legend. And he might not get some of it back. And I don't think he has any regrets. And I was just like, that's the kind of thing I want to idolize and be, be, you know, be myself. There are nights. You do that, man. You, you don't, you, you got to leave it all out there, right? You do, man. And it's too important. It's too beautiful. I mean, especially these days, man, with what I love about music, what I saw on this tour, leave your fucking cares at the door, leave your freaking opinions at the door. You're together. You all agree. This is a band we want to see. We're there. You're there. It's a beautiful thing. Let's be together. Let's be a community. Let's love each other. Let's enjoy yeah. it. You don't. Ha- you might not agree Absolutely. on a single thing, but this band. But that's something. That's something. You know. And right. I right. think that's that's what we're missing right now. And that's why I think these experiences. This tour was the most powerful, fun tour of my life, and it was weird as hell with the COVID protocols and us having to stay together. Couldn't go to bars. Couldn't shake hands yeah. with anybody else. Yeah. But it made the, about the music more, you know. We all we well, talked interesting. about yeah, was music. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you got me going here. I'll go and go and go, bro. I'm sorry, dude. I don't even have to ask questions because I, I want to tell you, you probably feel like you're talking a lot and you're talking quite a bit. But every time you go and like a, take a little veer off, that was a question I would have was going to ask <laughs> you. So it works out perfectly. All right, right? Good. It's a win-win. <laughs> it's a win-win, dude. You're fucking awesome, Chris. Thanks, bud. But, um. How was this tour? Well, let's talk about that for a second. That's a really profound statement that it made it more about the music. Isn't it always about the music? It is. However, one of the things we learned uh, during COVID, um, it forced me to be a 14-year-old kid on the edge of my bed again. With no, there was no phones ringing, no social Mm -hmm. agenda, no business agenda. No place to go. No place to go. Yeah. No way to be with my band. Right. You're just a kid on your, your, your bed again. And, and it, I really embraced that. I was like, holy shit. And I relearned the pure center of it there. And then when you mm. got together and we did a record, the only thing we talked, we talked about it while we were making it during 2020. You know, we had all masks on. You couldn't have anybody coming in from, you know, uh, other people that would have normally been there. It was us, an engineer, and Dave, and one other guy to help us with that, that sets everything up, and the band. There were three guys and three guys. So six guys right. together wearing masks. And at that, you know, hand sanitizing is like, if it was at that point where it was like a little later in 2020 where, Things had opened up a little bit, but you still had to adhere to these strict protocols, and we were all right. for it. You know, nobody. We're like, hey, we're gonna follow every single guideline because that's the way it's got to be. And yeah. but it was weird. So, but we had this conversation. We we're out in the back, and I'm like, guys, there'll never be another record where we can just think about this record. So let's just 
really think about it. Let's just make mm. this freaking record. And at that time, we didn't know if we'd ever tour again. We didn't know if we'd ever, if the record would ever come out. You know, yeah. it was just purely, we want to make the best record we can. And we hope that everything is going to calm the frick down. And, and you know, um, that's why it was all about the music. It's always all about the music, but life doesn't allow it to be purely about the music. Well, you... And now you were reflecting. You were ref reflecting about uh, that. It's only about the music. Uh, you were reflecting not being necessarily on the stage. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. And the right, stage right. Yeah, was like. And then and look at this and this amazing album that you guys put out too. Oh, so thanks, man. There are there are tons of positives. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the weird <laughs> thing is like there were some things about it that were benefited by isolation, which was the creativity was just one hundred percent, and there was a lot oh, yeah. to think about. You know, there was a lot going on. So you're watching the world through through a, a, a looking glass that we were all trapped in. We were we, yeah. basically the like what Jenny said about uh, the voices inside your head. It's you and them, and that's it. And maybe like I had my wife, and she's got her, and that's it. So your house basically becomes a, a kind of a, a reflection of that. And as a yeah. an artist, one thing I was I would always love to ask artists. Maybe I'll toss this out to you. Yeah. How did you deal with the fact that you're testifying live, which for me, I have this really huge energy inside that I have only ever found can come out, could up until the pandemic through live. I, that's how I dealt with my emotions. That's how I dealt with my repressed emotions. That's how I dealt with my most complicated feelings in a positive way. It was like, you know, um, I, and when I got taken, I, I kind of lost my shit for about two months. I was just like, I'd find all this energy, you know, I'd run or whatever. And, but nothing was replacing it. And it just meant find a new way to see your art again. Like, yes, all these tools have been taken away from you, all these things, these rewards, but can you be mm. satisfied? Can you find yourself? And it made me actually like myself uh, probably for the first time in my life to the core where I like really that's interesting yeah it, it had to there was nowhere there was no more like if there was like a there was no reason to not like myself but there was just a very immature you know I got my guitar at 14 and my emotional maturity was locked to my live performance so much that it was an excuse to not deal with some shit that I needed to look in the eye and it really like just about um, uh, how I feel about who I am as a person. What what a, what a, am I okay with? Uh, like I said, one less time. Am I really okay with that? Have I really taken that in? Have I really understood that this is a finite amount of time on this earth? Have mm -hmm. I really been as accepting and good at listening? And as you can tell, I talk. I'm talking a lot. So I had to learn. Yeah. Now, if we were having a conversation instead of an interview. I would consciously be shutting the fuck up because I talk and like, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, mm -hmm. that was a big part of it. I missed that terribly. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so all of that happened in it. And uh, that was when I say, isn't it always about the music, which was the question you said. Right, right. It is, but life isn't, but it got an opportunity to be that way. And on this tour, Yes, it's all about the music, but it's also like, hey, my buddies, you know, it's like when you're in a band and you're on a bus, people are that have supported you for years, they want to 
you know, hey, come on the bus. Let's have some fun. Let's have some beers. Let's enjoy ourselves. Eh, smoke a little weed. Have a little fun. There was none of that. It was like together, these eight, nine people rolling down the road. We got to know each other better. All we talked about was how to make the show better. We changed the set list every night. We, we talked about the inner workings of every little song where we would have been out at the bar shooting pool and probably would have had some of those conversations, but they wouldn't have been as sharp. They wouldn't have been as needed. They wouldn't have been. They were all we had. And that right, right, made right. it, the band gets so much better, so much faster. So are there aspects of that that you're going to take forward? Every, every aspect of it. I, I, I uh, it, it, yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. It, it reminded me too. It's like these social experiences that you have on the road are awesome. And they're the thing that creates this myth about rock and roll. It's like the party, the blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But God damn it, the show is the best fucking part. And for God's sakes, make it about the damn show, you know? And, and we always have. <laughs> right. But it's like right, these right. people are coming to see you play. You owe it. To so it's giving you that. an opportunity to like take a step back and understand what it really was, what what it really is about. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I love that you learn to like like yourself and love yourself a little bit more during that time and come to more to accept yourself, and that's that that's a wonderful thing. That's that's certainly a positive, and I think there's so many people that have, you know, made lemonade lemonades out of out of lemons that everyone was handed in um, over COVID. I did for sure. Um, but that you were able to get more in touch with why you were really out there mm-hmm. and how this was a really transformative time. Also, I'm going to use this to circle back to the whole back, Play maybe. Loud new album kind of uh, uh, vibe as well that you know clearly had a hand in giving you the confidence to be who you really wanted to be and do what you really want to do, although it's, a little, it's more of a collective decision in your case because it has to do with the band. But I think it all kind of fits into... Uh, one package. Does that make sense to you? Totally. Well, we all went, we all learned that together. You're in a band. You're together. You live and die by each other. You know, you love each other. You're in a relationship um, that is as intimate as any family relationship, and you build those bonds by choice. You find these people by choice. Um, and you share in an intimate soul experience that only otherwise can be replicated in life through your most intimate relationships. You know, um, you do something with this person that is very, with these people that is very sacred and very, Mm. um, you give each other, uh, a completion to the, to the entire idea you know, together. And that's a really powerful feeling. And, uh, uh, yeah, you carry all of that with you, uh, when you go through it. And, and the thing I think I found, and we've talked about it as a band is above for me, the way I learned to like myself was to accept that there is no perfection, that happiness and sadness. And like I said, losing friends, uh, having triumphant moments, um, you 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 live through those. You don't live. Uh, you ha- above happiness and sadness is peace, because if you're at peace, um, you you go through all those things with a a stiller inner 
thing and accepting that you're not perfect and that nobody is. And that's one of the things I think that's happening. We're, we're learning as a society with the online thing uh, is there's a, there's a, uh, there's a speaking to each other like you're infallible or speaking to each other like you're relating to each other because you're not perfect, Josh. I'm not perfect. And we've never met a perfect person on this earth. There's not one single solitary perfect person that does everything right, has never hurt anybody. There are people walking that have never intentionally hurt anybody, but they still accidentally will. I've never tried to hurt anybody that I know of, but I know I've hurt people. They've told me so. Right. You know, and you ask for forgiveness, but at peace, having some peace and, and owning your shit and uh and not being afraid of that and not being afraid to say things like uh two years ago we would have had this interview i would have never been able to say i grew up in a beautiful place that i glorify all the time but i felt like a fucking oddball i never fit in it made me feel strange and when i found my guitar i found a piece of myself and then i locked my emotional maturity to that instrument and when that mm. got taken back from the live thing, because a big part of it was the live thing, right. I, had to, I had to grow up and as a grown man. I had to grow up. So it was a really how. amazing period of growth for you, though. How did you manifest? Like, how did that, what was the moment when you sort of were like, I need to look at this? And what were the, um, what, what was the, uh, what was the outcome of that? What was the what are the growth and learning that you had from that from that period? Because it said it sounds like it was pretty significant. It was extremely significant. I w- I'm not the same uh, outwardly. I'm the, although in inward, uh, um, and everybody in my life has noticed it. And all the people that are closest to me have noticed it. Interesting. Uh, I used to be a lot more uh, off stage. I just was a very whatever. You know, I I I, uh, I thought that keeping things completely peaceful was the most uh, important thing. But you're not being completely genuine if you're not mm-hmm. at peace yourself. You know, right. Uh, right. If somebody, you've got, you got to be well, You're also are. not speaking from your gut also. Like, right. You, you can't talk about shit that you don't feel, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're up on stage, man. You, It's the easiest, I would assume. And I, I know, it's the easiest yeah. to speak from your heart. Well, you see this uh, through a lot of... Uh, another thing that I, t- I would suggest to any singer is study stand-up comedians and listen to them because they have nothing but their, their... Or listen to the greats on the radio that do nothing but entertain people because they've got a microphone and their wits. And, yeah. and then, but then you hear about them off stage and a lot of entertainers, we all struggle with this because you've got the one moment that you have... That's really hard. That freaks people out. And most people are like, man, being on a microphone, that's the scariest thing in the world. You're, you, bec- you learn to become comfortable in an environment that other people would consider extremely pressure-filled. And that becomes your home. And the rest of the world is scary. So you take all that with mm. you. And when that got taken, um, it, that's what I'm talking about. It's like there was a, a kind of a point where I had to... Uh, there wasn't like a moment where I was like, it just kind of became a decision. I was like, I recognized it. It's kind of like when I want to pick up a new instrument, it's just, I have a calling. It's like, I want to learn how to play. I've never played this instrument. I'm going to try it. It was like that. It's like, you know what? I've been walking around for years. Every time I'm off stage, I feel a little out uneasy. 
you know, I'm way too worried about this and that and all this bullshit. It's like, Mm. and man, what's the point? You know what I mean? You know, that one thing that losing someone close to you will teach you is that when it's over, it's over. You know, and it's like we don't understand anything past that. And different people have different beliefs. God bless you. Hey, keep them, hold them, love them. My thing, I don't know what happens. I don't know where people go. I feel that they there's a presence around you. But you learn that when it's over, it's over. And you got to be, you got to find peace with your own mortality and your own moving forward and i know this is getting extremely heavy but this is what i got into you know and i've well, never hey, actually let's, openly let's get talked heavy about but it. still but i I'm, I'm i'm good being heavy and um uh but you were talking about that getting in touch with your own self yeah outside of the performance experience yes talk to me a little bit about that it's just realizing that the you know the space between your ears is infinitely smaller than the space around it so where's the knowledge you know and um, physics pres- uh, has proven that everything mm-hmm. is connected, you know. So there is a, you are connected to everything, but you're only connected mm-hmm. to everything in the moment that we're living. Right now, you and I are connected to each other through a through the life experience, not just through this little machine here, but we are experiencing the world and the known and from us to the unknown reaches of the universe and back are all occurring at this moment. Anything that we talked about two minutes ago is between our ears. Anything forward is our, our limited perception projecting this infinite from a very small perspective forward. So how good can that be? You know? So what I found is if you stand in the second you're living, and really work yeah. on being able to ride that second and know that's all it really is and give 100% to, like, say, this interview right now. If yeah. I was thinking about something else, it wouldn't be a very good interview. Yeah. But if we're here. Being in the moment. Being in the moment being is what you're in the moment. About. And, and understanding that. that. And that, did that, that helped you get into that space where you felt more comfortable in the world outside when you then realized that, um, it wasn't just being up on stage. It was what was inside of you and you weren't getting in touch with that while yeah. and, and, and being, and, and stripping out the stage part. Obviously you didn't have that anymore. You had to focus on your own self. Yeah. And it made you, uh, not need, if you thought, you know, it's very, like we had our conversation earlier, you and I about, uh, validation, you know, it, it validation yeah. doesn't become as big a deal. Um, you still obviously want to have a career and be love, you know, have people love what you do, but it doesn't become as big a deal. Um, it, it still matters very much. Uh, but yeah, it's still nice to have, but if you're getting it, it means that yeah. if you need validation, it means there's something external that you're looking and, to be and trust me, rewarded I, for. But if you're with your own self, you don't need to be fucking validated. It feels Ideally. good once in a while. Like someone's like, hey, man, that was a cool podcast. Or you keep talking about Jenny Lee. I'm like, hey, that's fucking cool. But that's not why I did it. Right. And it shows. That's why yeah. that interview was great with Jenny. You know, and, oh, right. and I'm, I'm, yeah, look, yeah. I'm a Listen fan to of this. some other ones. Too. I am. I yeah, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> fan of this of podcast <laughs> now. And I, <laughs> Thank I, you. I, I, I thought fucking, that, I'm fucking around now. No, no. Like, fuck yeah. Well, that's great. It's good. <laughs> the, so my point is, though, man. So learning to be present, something really fucking weird happened that related to the music. Mm. Now, let's just also say, I am not some 
master of this. I am no, very no, flawed, that's right? That, that's, so I just dude, need to say dude, we're all we're we're just dudes and we're talking just about dudes. Music. Just so yeah, I'm not proclaiming speech. like I'm like I am present. I'm always. I'm not. Okay, yeah. I, I fuck. Well, but you are. Let's just say on that note, I do want to add that you are a performer and you're out there, so you do have a unique perspective right. on. You've seen the other side, like what it means to put yourself out there mm -hmm. in an unbridled fashion in front of thousands of people. Okay, so let me. Let, I'm gonna. I'll back down off of that. Well, that that this brings it to the to the next point. The performances got much deeper in feeling and satisfaction and uh mm. you said you saw us at the metro um yeah. you know you're not up there i do something right before i hit the stage i've got my right foot right by the step and right before i go on i have a little thing i say to myself that will always remain private because it has to be protected because it's my little mantra that i created for myself to kind of snap me into yeah, this yeah. But what happens after I say this little thing to myself that just basically reminds my whole body, I have a whole thing that I do, you know, warm-ups, everything is to set yourself up. To, to, it's kind of like uh, if you watched a, a baseball game, the pitcher's throwing. He's got, everybody's got, you're going to do a free throw. You've got your thing that says, I'm going yeah. to do this thing. The ritual. A ritual. So I've got my little ritual, but where I can say is when I take my right foot and it hits the step or the part that I have looked at and gone, there's the stage. And yeah. it's before people see you, usually. Every single, it's that, that is where I'm like, the head is being left here. Mm. I, mm. My, my life, I don't say all this, but this is what it equates to. Yeah, my yeah. taxes, my income, my marriage, my, my family. My, my cats, my house, my car, my everything that is life stays down off of this step and I am going up there and I am just going to play. And I'm going to play my guts out. And that's all coming with me in my heart. But I'm not going to be on yeah. stage wasting precious seconds of the best part of my you know, creative life right. not being completely there with the people that are there. And there are things that happen on stage that... Um, will distract you and all of a sudden you, I, I, I know I'm going out of it if I start thinking because I can like all of a sudden it's like right. oh there's a dude over there what's he doing then I, I always have a little thing I do I just go get back to it present and I go right, right. back to being it shuts it off and and the more yeah, I do it, it takes you out of your head and yeah. into your body man that's it's like that and that's the fucking are you listening that's, that's dance, one thing man. I will well, the little angel voice in my head will go are you listening right now and then i that's the if i don't have another thought for a while i know that i was listening i know that i was in the moment i know that i was yeah. doing what i was supposed to be doing um right and then oh, right you'll on. snap out of, i mean when i first started doing it i it was like every 30 seconds like are you listening yeah yeah are you yeah, listening yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah, like a muscle yeah. you work it and it gets better mm -hmm. but totally dude yeah it's it now, I have a long way to go. It's going to be a lifelong thing, and I'm sure... Oh, it totally you know, is, yeah. I focus on this quite a bit yeah. myself just to get myself out of my own head, into my body, just in my everyday life yep. for this podcast. It's really important that I'm not like... That I don't bring shit into this fucking conversation. Um, you know, I'll usually come on here, and that's why I was saying like, oh, man, I had this morning where I was like so busy, and I forgot to fucking eat and stuff. Yep. Like, I told you that before we came on here. Just like, you know, just to get it out there. You know, I don't have that... I don't have to step up on the stage, but I'd like to share a little bit uh, before I get going. That gets me out of my head and gets me into just 
Um, cause then you know a little bit about where I'm coming from, but Hey, um, you know, just bring kind of like an empty vessel onto the, on, into the program. And so I can just be, I can be present in the moment. And if you're in your head, you're not present in the moment because you're thinking of the past mm-hmm. and you're worried about the fucking future, man. Absolutely. And then you get up there and you can just have this fucking amazing performances. And we started out this whole segment about, um, you being in your body and fucking moving around and getting up on stage and doing your thing and and it's compelling man when you start to move around up there people are fucking into it i mean <laughs> a lot of blues players will just like stand up there and do their thing which is cool but to also like it's just like it gets my vibe because i i'd love to i love to rock out on my own and a lot of that just has to do with me moving my body yes it's it's yeah. a it's there's a reason it's great, that it's love it. it's existed since the beginning. You know, there's written the written record. It shows music to the <laughs> farthest back yeah. that we know about. Uh, you know, right. to to, uh, to to uh, in the all of written history. And I imagine if we go prehistoric, prehistoric where it's before written record, uh, you know, yeah. I imagine they were doing the same thing. It's it's. Hey, I think some of the cave thing. paintings in southern France were of like guys dancing Absolutely. to fucking blues rock bands. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever oh, it takes. Mm-hmm. I'm so psyched that you're gonna um, that you had a great tour and you got this one show coming up in at the Tarragon in L.A. And then I was excited to see you're coming back to Chicago in April. So yes. Um, can't wait to connect with you. We're going to be on Kimmel, uh, I hear, and I think it's going to be oh, really? 12, uh, the 15th of this month. I think that got oh, confirmed today. December if that 15th? didn't, we will be on there soon, so keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, cool. You'll be doing a track from the new album? Yes. Latest album? Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, of course. I mean, like, that was... Yep. We're going to do the song <laughs> Never Leave You, the opening track on the, the record, oh, right I believe, on, is right what on. we're going to do. You do you like playing, doing... Well, the Kimmel is the one that play, he's, does the stuff where you can go out... You play outside, or is that... Yeah, I don't know what his uh, setup is now. We played it one other time b- before COVID, so it's all, they're yeah. all different. It, it, we did Conan before yeah. he went off the air, which was like a dream come true. That was the first oh, one. Oh, like recently when he announced that he was leaving? No, we did it in like 2016, 2017, ah, okay. and it was like... Do you like doing the TV performances? Yeah, man, they're a trip. You know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> nothing is what you think it's going to be. <clears throat> Again, that projection forward... <laughs> But once right, you get exactly. it done, it's it's like yeah, you know, you get, you start, you 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 fight the battle to not uh, to stay centered and to not think about the fact that you're on TV and you just. Is it trippy to have like a couple different cameras pointed at you while you're playing? I mean, you've done videos and shit, yeah. so you're used to that. But it's like when you look at that camera and they're you know, it's definitely it, a different it, experience. Does it fuck with your head. <laughs> it's a different experience. Um, you try, you know, I just try to stay. Uh, as centered as I can I'd be lying if I didn't say the first time especially when we did Conan which was our first one um, when 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 he said uh, you know ladies and gentlemen here's the record company and I'd been listening mm-hmm. to Conan since I was in college and to hear him announce our album uh, for a second I just was like oh my god you know because oh, you know I just had that fan moment you know and, and the same with right, with, right. with Kimmel and, and Colbert and, and uh, um, yeah. it, it it is a trip. We did a Jules Holland. Uh, we did his uh, Hoot Nanny, which is in Europe. So that's like their New Year's show. It's like the big New Year's show over there. So that was yeah, crazy because yeah. it was like uh, uh, Michael Bublé w- played right before us. And like he comes running up <laughs> and after our performance. And he's like apparently this big rock fan. And he's just like. 
to hear Michael Bublé, I, I hope, uh, you know, whatever, this could, it, maybe this will get him some edgy fans, but he's like, I fucking loved that. <laughs> I was oh, no like, shit, really? Whoa, Those were his exact Michael Bublé. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, because he crushed Drop it. the F-bomb, man. He crushed it, dude. He absolutely crushed it. I was like watching him with Jules Hollins, man, and I was like, this is something I would have never normally uh, seen. And yeah. it's amazing, you know, so I love the format of that show. Love That's it. the show where they've got like the, all the bands that just sit out there. I fucking love watching a band that I love watching another band that I love. It was so cool, man. I fucking love it. And that it. was scary as shit. That. You know, it, 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 it is intimidating, but when, once the, the music starts, you're playing music. So it, it you know, yeah. you don't get to have your whole ritual, put your right foot on the stage. You just got to snap into it. It's like the first note. And we're playing this song. Is that whole thing just law? It's all done like right Live. in the moment there. Yeah. So he's like, "Oh, and the record company, and you gotta is go over here." Yep. Like, and everyone just focuses on you over there, and you, everyone's like sound checked and gotten all obviously. You yep. got, you're all ready to go. God, it's God. Wow. It, That's it's, really cool. It's that cool. That is really unique. That's yeah, why I also, I like whenever I see like a really blazingly good televised performance, I'm like, "Wow, good up on you," because it's like that is mm. a crazy real, a crazy experience, and it's like. If you really nail it, it's like you're you're you did a you did something really good in that moment because it isn't it is different. It, I mean, none of us are TV stars, you know. You're not no, you're yeah. not used to having. Those and then you don't necessarily have a bunch of fans giving giving that energy back. And right. I mean, in, in the crowd, you might have you know tens of fans, right? I mm-hmm. would assume, but not everyone in the studio knew knows who the musical guest mm-hmm. is, right? Yeah, no, so. you're usually playing in front of a. You know, an audience and like they, they get the cue to clap, you know, but that's a weird feeling, too, because I've never heard, experienced a clap that I didn't earn. Like, I've never had someone saying like, <laughs> yeah. so that threw me the first time because it's like it's applause and you hear this applause and it's like, wait a minute, you know, because I'm just I just have been a road guy for my whole life. So if anybody ever went like this. It was because they wanted to, not because they were being told to. So that threw me, right. that, the first time that threw me. And then after that, I'm just like, that's just the way it is. Once you hear that, it's time yeah. to play. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah. It's cool. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. It's a whole other incredible, interesting perspective on live music and playing, et cetera. Um, well, Chris, this was fucking awesome, Thank man. You. Thanks so much My for pleasure. coming here, regaling me a little bit with your stories and letting me letting me jump in there with some questions <laughs> once in a while. Really, yeah. really happy to have you here, man. And um, man, just um, great stuff, man. Thank you. Best of luck. Love the new album. Love the new direction. Now I can say it. Yeah, man. I wasn't sure if I could say it or not. Absolutely. <laughs> it's uh you know just don't be don't be scared to evolve you know uh as as an artist i think it's really important to uh to follow the muse inside you know uh yeah and stick to it and yeah you might have a misstep here and there but you know if you've believed in it you, you did and that goes something. for a lot of different things yeah. i think that goes for a lot of different things man you got to try stuff if you don't try yeah. stuff how are you ever going to know yeah. and and the way you get anything to go the right way at the beginning is by trying something. So it stands to reason you should continue to do so. Otherwise, you're just putting out the same record over and over and over and over and over. And what's that going to do for anybody? I mean, it's just they've got that record already. Why would you do it again? You know what I mean? Right. So Right. Change it up in life. And I think that goes in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only the creative areas. Absolutely. Just in, in, in one's own life, too. And uh, 
of we've learned that you can bring uh, that it's amazing to bring what we all learn in the real world into for you for performance and others just for the way that everyone moves through life and and uh, you're a great example of just being open and willing to learn and break out of one's own 14 year old self you got him man that's been my <laughs> thanks thing. chris man this was an absolute pleasure dude my thanks pleasure so too thank you man. josh and all your listeners thanks for listening and uh I'm now a, a big fan of this podcast, so I'm going to go back through the catalog. And everybody else, sounds like this is a great place to learn about some music. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go back through uh, some of these. I, I want to hear that Larkin Poe one, and I, yeah. I, I want to go back. I actually am going to go back to your first episode because I want to hear how this thing evolved now that I'm your most recent episode. So I'm going to go do that. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. I'll give you my email. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You got it. All right. Great. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Best to everyone. Okay, that was Chris Voss of The Record Company on Roadcase. I love listening to Chris talk. I could listen to him for hours. I did listen to him for hours and uh, got a couple questions in there too, but uh, really enjoyed that conversation with him. I hope you did as well. Thanks for hanging on for this long. It was a long one, but uh, so compelling. I thought, uh, man, this is just, uh, this is great stuff. I loved listening to Chris. He has got so many interesting perspectives. Um, his relationship with performance, uh, just putting it all out there, just a full body experience. I can attest to that. You know, I saw them in 2015 before they didn't even put out their first album. Probably, uh, they had probably just recorded it at that time with, uh, when I saw them open with my morning jacket uh, in Cleveland and in Cincinnati in the summer of 2015, uh, they were spectacular and I was absolutely hooked. Um, Loved hearing him talk about his experiences with Bob Seger and how Seger was super into listening to them. They just telling him to roll through their set during sound check and getting feedback from Bob and just uh, seeing him love the music and the impact that that had on Chris was just amazing. And uh, I love how Chris is just kind of a do what you love and just throw down uh, with everything that you have. Um, and at the same time, you know, he spoke about uh, the Springsteen quote, you know, root out the cliche. Uh, and I took that to mean be true to yourself and be true to the music that you feel is real inside. But at the same time, that does pose a challenge for Chris in that he is in the blues rock arena originally. And there's so many cliches in blues rock. And, you know, he spoke directly about trying to get away from that. And, you know, Alex Stiff on bass and laying down bass lines that might have ordinarily been guitar lines uh, really gave a really original flavor to what they do. Um, and I just really, really love that. I love Chris's determination. Like I said at the top, his uh, perseverance and his desire to follow his heart. And most importantly, he's just got this incredible gratitude uh, to be doing what he's doing, to put out the best show that he can, to continue to do what he absolutely loves to do. And you feel that when you see these guys. So go check out the record company. They're going to be touring again in the spring of 2022. Uh, check out their latest performances. I'm sure there's some on YouTube. I uh, played on the Jimmy Kimmel show on December 15th. Uh, go check that out. It's a really great performance. And uh, they 
they're just uh, they're just spectacular. And I want to thank everyone for being here for this episode of Road Case as we wind down season three. We got or season two. We got a lot of great guests coming up in season three, and we got a couple spectacular guests for next week, which is the last season of season two, ending on December twenty fourth with a really special guest for my one hundredth episode. And I want to send a special. Thank you to Chris Voss of The Record Company for being here on this episode of Road Case. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>